Hello, everyone, and welcome into Monday's edition of the To The Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well. What a weekend it was in the sports world. Lots to get into today. Uh, we're going to dissect it all. A lot, a lot of different headlines, lots of stuff to get into. I've got some feedback from listeners over the weekend, so we're going to touch on some of those topics as well. But, you know, it's a Monday, and you're coming off a weekend. You're thinking, well, what's the biggest headline of the weekend? You know, what, what's the biggest story? And that was really what I what I conjured up for the poll question today is what is what is the, that top headline? And feel free to leave your thoughts in the comments section uh, on what what your vote is. You can base it off the poll question that you can find right now on our Instagram live, uh, sorry, Instagram story, or you can uh, have your own write-ins. You know, have your say on what was the top headline of the weekend. And really, for me, I, I bro- broke it down to four, but like I said, it's open to interpretation. You guys let me know what you think. And the first one for me was Jason Robertson. Quiet story, plays for the Dallas Stars, probably not a big name headline, but I watched both of the, those games this weekend, and he really came, he was top of mind for me. I also threw in Colby Covington, uh, beating Jorge Masvidal at USC 272. There's that story. There's the always always going to be in the top of the headlines, regardless, positive or negative, the Maple Leafs goaltending situation. They lose again. They give up six goals. Maybe that's the top story. Or I had the fourth one I wrote in was NBA 50-point games. We saw one from LeBron James. Jason Tatum followed it up the next day with the 50 piece himself. So like I said, leave your thoughts in the comments, what you think the top storyline of the weekend was top headline. But I'm going to start off by talking about Jason Robertson, because I just think this is a really good story from a guy, like I said, that is a virtual unknown, you know, a a third round pick from the Dallas stars. He's not as well known as his brother, who was a higher pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he's quietly had two extremely productive seasons in the NHL, having over 20 goals last year in his rookie season, following it up this year with well past 20 goals, but to this weekend getting to 29 with back-to-back hat-trick games against the Winnipeg Jets and Minnesota Wild. Both division rivals, both games on the road, And then that stretch, it also included Robertson getting the overtime winner on a breakaway where he was tripped to the ground. And Robertson really is the embodiment, is the poster child for just how great Dallas has been over the last month and change. I look at the Dallas Stars and the Boston Celtics in the two respective leagues of teams that had a terrible start, where you looked at them and said, what are you doing? You, you have so much more potential. You're just not grasping it right now. And Jason Robertson has been fantastic. The Dallas Stars have been fantastic. And through all of this, through the ups and downs, through putting Anton Hudobin, a goalie who got you to a Stanley Cup final on waivers, the Dallas Stars are now tied for the final playoff spot in the Western Conference. They're ahead of the Edmonton Oilers in the standings, if you can believe it, after the Oilers start to the season. 
and now they're in a dead heat. They are tied for points with the Minnesota Wild, a team that I really like, but a team that's been hitting the ditch the past little while. And you know, I mentioned the Leaf struggles. I look at two teams that have been completely struggling. These two teams are built extremely different, but have had basically ideal, you know, similar paths the last couple of months. And that would be the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Minnesota Wild. Both teams are playing lackluster defensively. Both teams are allowing four plus goals a game over the last three weeks. And both teams are losing all the time. Minnesota's got a tandem goaltending situation, as do the Toronto Maple Leafs. Minnesota has some really good high-end skill, as do the Toronto Maple Leafs. Does Minnesota play a more physical game? Yeah. Maple Leafs, obviously more skilled. We know that. But it doesn't matter. Both teams are look like locks to make the playoffs. And Toronto will still make the playoffs because of their cushion and the fact that the Eastern Conference, we already know who's making the playoffs. It's set. One to eight is locked in. But for Minnesota, they should be really worried because the Western Conference standings is going to be a battle the rest of the way. And what looked like a sure thing, where you say, well, Dallas is kind of in a heat with us. Well, we got some separation. Plus, they'll trade off players. We don't have to worry about Dallas. I don't think that's the case anymore. Because I'm looking at some of these teams, and it's going to be really interesting. Because we are exactly two weeks away from the trade deadline. Two weeks today, we're going to have a trade deadline special here into the point. Be ready for that one two weeks tonight. But you look and say, well, the Stars are winning games. They're in a playoff hunt. They're right there. As we look at the standings, I pulled them up here for you guys. Dallas is in the first wild card spot in the Western Conference. Three points clear of the Edmonton Oilers, a point clear of the National Predators. Dallas also has a game in hand on Edmonton. They are five, point, five points clear of Vancouver, four points clear of Anaheim with games in hand on both of these teams. So is Dallas going to trade Joe Pavelski? Is Dallas going to trade John Klingberg? Well, my thoughts are I'm leaning towards no, the way the team is playing right now. Do I think Dallas is going to win the Cup this year? No. But I didn't think the Dallas Stars were going to make a Stanley Cup final two years ago, and they did. And Colorado is the big you know, it's the scary team in the Western Conference. But quite frankly, Colorado does not scare me. I see the way Colorado plays in the playoffs. I see the way their team's built. And they remind me a ton of the Toronto Maple Leafs. They've had a little more success in the playoffs in Toronto, but not much. And they're too one-dimensional, where it's a skill game, where if somebody brings something to the table physically, you can't handle it. McKinnon can get there, but I saw Vegas wear this team down. Dallas beat Colorado two years ago. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility they can do it again. 
Jake Ottinger is young, but Anton Udobin had no playoff success. Anton Udobin had no pedigree. He was a perennial backup goaltender, and he got that team to the Stanley Cup final because Ben Bishop had his upteenth injury. But saying all that, this all depends on what do you do? Joe Pavelski is an unrestricted free agent. John Klingberg is an unrestricted free agent. Two of your most important players. If it's me, we're going to make the playoffs. We're in striking distance with the Minnesota Wild. We could potentially be the third seed in the in the uh, in the Central Division. We have that opportunity to do it. We play St. Louis in the first round. Would that be a tough matchup? Yeah, because I think St. Louis is a really good team. They're starting to play better as of late. But if you're Dallas, it's it's really hard not to say, let's just keep our pieces and try. Because the East is loaded. There's better teams in the East than there are in the West. We all know that. So to say going into the playoffs, well, we don't have to get through Tampa. We don't have to get through Florida. We have to get through one Eastern Conference team. We have to get through one Eastern Conference team after they've gone through the entire Eastern Conference. Meaning we can get out of it. We're in a pretty good position to win a Stanley Cup. And I look at teams like St. Louis, Dallas. They should feel, they should press all in. It's extremely difficult to lose a guy for nothing. John Klingberg is not going to resign in Dallas. He's going to want too much money. He's going to want too much term. If I'm a team, I'm wary. I'm not signing him to a long-term extension. You know, somebody will. I wouldn't. I think he'll be the Dougie Hamilton of next year's offseason where he gets a seven-year deal for a large amount of money that a team regrets within five minutes of signing him to. But, like I always say, there's always a but. But in saying that, okay, you might not get a first-round pick for him. Second, whatever's on the table. But what you might get is a Stanley Cup run. What you might get is ticket revenue. What you might get is one last kick at the can at doing something you couldn't do two years ago. Jamie Benn's playing fantastic. Jason Robertson, Joe Pavelski, Rupe Hintz, Dennis Gurionov. This team is older. They're better. They're more experienced than they were two years ago. There were two victories away from a Stanley Cup two years ago, and you still have the nucleus of this team together. I'm trying. I'm not trading John Klingberg right now. Pavelski's not going anywhere. I believe you could re-sign Pavelski. You tell him, hey, you're not going anywhere. We want you here. Let's work out an extension in the offseason, and we'll move forward. Klingberg will go. But sometimes it's, it's worth it. It's different if you're a seller. If you're in Ottawa, if you're in New Jersey, those teams aren't on the bubble. They're not close. You trade off assets because you know you're not going to make the playoffs. Dallas, Vancouver, L.A., they're in extremely difficult positions because you're still in a playoff race. Vancouver looks like they're out of it, but they continue to win. So you keep yourself in that position to remain in the hunt. 
to say, well, do we trade JT Miller? Because I talked last week about players mo- most likely to be moved. Well, I, like I just, I don't think Klingberg's going to be. Vancouver continues to win. I don't think JT Miller is going to be traded. So the guy who I thought had the least ch- amount of chance to be moved, Jacob Chikrin, I think his odds of getting traded have skyrocketed because the other pieces on the board are not available. You can't take my queen. You can't take my king. I guess I have to settle for the bishop and I might have to give up. I might have to give up my queen to get that bishop, but I'll do it. I'm going to have to give up half my chessboard in order to get this one piece. But sometimes it's worth it. For a team that says, well, Chickren's under term. He's a good player. He's young. I don't know if Arizona wants to part with him. Arizona gets a lot of leverage. Because if a team says, oh, we need a defenseman, then you're going to feel the pressure to make a move. Like, I look at a team like Toronto. And we'll get to their goaltending and their play alongside Minnesota, as I made the connection earlier. But they need a defenseman. We all know it. It seems to me they're very tepid. They're very, they're not certain about who they want to trade for. doesn't seem like Ben Sherratt is necessarily top on their board. I don't get that. I really like Ben Sherratt. I get it. He's an old school defenseman. He's not scored at 20 goals a season. He's workmanlike. He's anti-Maple Leaf. Maybe that's why they don't want him. Um, But I've said this for a couple months. He'd already be in Toronto. And, you know, I I listen to other podcasts. I listen to other analysts. And I respect their opinion. Some guys I do less than others. But I hear a guy like Mike Johnson say, well, I wouldn't want Sherrod. Okay, I get it. But Sherrod also was in the Stanley Cup final last year. He played a role extremely well. So it limits your options. Because we all know Leaf Country. If if you're telling me, okay, we're not going to trade for Chikrin, which I don't think they're going to. We're not going to trade for Klingberg, obviously. That's not happening. Um, Who who else? If it's not Sherrod, who's a rental, they don't like rentals, okay, if, it's, if you're telling me, okay, we're going to trade for Justin Braun from Philadelphia, who's a depth defenseman, who's worse than Ben Chirot, that doesn't make any sense. When you could have paid a little more for a better option. Are you going for a big deal? Are you trading for a guy like Ivan Provorov? I mentioned this couple, last week. That's the move I would make. Go big game hunting. But what's the move? Because with every win that Dallas gets, with every win that Vancouver gets to stay in the hunt, it puts more and more pressure on their hockey ops department to not trade off unrestricted free agents, to stay the course, to see what you can do to get into the playoffs. Because to me, Dallas is not a big hockey market. The Stars aren't the Cowboys. But if you trade John Klingberg, what does that say to your locker room? 
How are they going to interpret that? You just trade away one of our best players and you still, our goal is to win a cup. Because getting a draft pick for John Klingberg right now makes no sense. For this team, you have a team of veterans that believe that they can win. They're playing unbelievable hockey. You don't want to send the wrong message. But I just think Robertson had a hell of a weekend. Extremely good player. Underrated. But he he continues to be a big force and a, a quiet, quietly a great player night in, night out. I mentioned Minnesota and Toronto, how both teams are really in parallel. But Toronto's a hard one to, dis- to decipher because we know they're going to make the playoffs. We know they're going to play Florida or Tampa in the first round and not likely. I don't think they're going to win their division. Um, maybe they catch a heater. It's still a possibility. I, I don't see it happening. But Toronto has two flaws, really. Well, they have right now multiple, but I'm looking at two of them are smacking me in the face. And it's hard to pick which one's worse right now, honestly, because their goaltending stinks. And for most of the season, their defense core stinks. Jack Campbell, the first couple months of the season, masked what was a mediocre to lackluster defense core. Simple as that. He made save after save. He played some great games where he made Timothy Lilligren, Travis Dermott, Rasmus Sandin look better than they actually were. And since the dawn of the new year, since before the All-Star break, Jack Campbell has been a below-average goaltender. He's been a guy that's let in a stinker or two every start. He's been a guy that when he goes in the net, he doesn't seem confident. He seems uneasy with the puck. And I think it started off as fatigue. And after a few bad starts, it's crept into his mind. And I think we're starting to see him lose it a little bit. So where do we go from here is the question. And I said this last week, but I'm going to reiterate it. The alternative is not to trade for a goaltender. That is not the correct move. That's not the way to go about this. I view that as idiocy. You're not trading for Marc-Andre Fleury. You're not trading for Georgiev. You said these two goalies were good enough to get you to Stanley Cup. That's what you told everybody, because you had a team that could win. Figure it out. But if that means, okay, our goaltending is not as good, we need more cover, and we need to acquire two defensemen, then you do it. Kyle Dubas spoke Friday. He said, I think we got one move left in the chamber. Well, quite frankly, if you're asking me, that's not enough. He needs two, he needs two defensemen. He needs two defensemen at this deadline. Ben Chirot is one. And if it's a depth defenseman like a Justin Braun, or if you want to go big game hunting, which I'm fine with, like an Ivan Provorov, do it. But only getting one defenseman is not solving the entire issue. Because then you're still left with a defense core that has, say, Morgan Riley and TJ Brody. Hoping Muzzin can come back healthy, you have Muzzin, Justin Hall. Then you play who? Sherratt and Sandine. I still see a hole. 
perfect world, Hall and or, or Sandine don't play. Because lately, Sandine's been playing really, really poor. Hall hasn't played great, but Sandine's playing really bad lately as well. Turnover machine. He's getting muscled off pucks. He's a small defenseman. And he's getting muscled off pucks right now. Because Vancouver, like Saturday night, Vancouver's playing playoff hockey. Every game's a must win for them. They have no room for error. JT Miller, those big guys going into the corners, Vasily Podkolzin, they're putting their muscle on Rasmussen and he's struggling to handle it. His awareness to get the puck off the ice isn't good enough. There's at times where Sandine is in such a position, his best place is to throw it up the middle of the ice. That's technically a turnover, but at least you got the puck out of the ice. That's counter Maple Leaf culture because they are so puck possession. That's the way they play the game. But a lot of these defensemen, that's their best play. At least get it out. Hopefully we can get a change here. But to me, you had a pair of defensemen. And Jack Campbell was beginning of the year, the guy he said, we played in the playoffs last year. He played okay in the playoffs. I think you look at his game seven. I don't think it's one you're you're proud of. Brendan Gallagher shot a shot a uh, puck from nearly the blue line and went in. You got to make that save. It's a three-one hockey game. One goal was completely terrible. Sometimes that's just that's all it takes. But this week is important. But it's also, I would say this week it's a cautious week for the Maple Leafs because. If you're a Maple Leaf fan, this week should be a good one for you. Because your Leafs this week get Columbus tonight, Kraken tomorrow, Arizona, and then Buffalo in the outdoor game. What do all these four teams have in common? They stink. None of them are going to make the playoffs. Does that guarantee a victory? No. Buffalo beat Toronto last week. Gave it to them. But on paper, this is the week where you find your game. This is where you start to play competitive playoff hockey before you got to play Florida three times down the stretch, before you got to play Tampa again. Because before you know it, you're going to be in a position where you're in big, important games. And if you can't beat Buffalo, if you can't beat Arizona, you're sure as hell not beating the Tampa Bay Lightning, period. But for a goaltender, you don't have to play great teams to find your confidence. You can play a couple bad teams, which they are this week. They play Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. Mrazek is going tonight. you got to assume he gets a win against Columbus, and you have Campbell at home against Seattle tomorrow. I'm interested to see if both guys get a win, which they should, even on a back-to-back. I don't care. Both these teams suck. Who do they go to Thursday? Who plays Thursday if they both win their respective games? Which isn't a guarantee if you're a Maple Leaf fan right now, but it should be. That's the telltale sign of who they want to be their starting goalie come playoff time. I believe they want it to be Jack Campbell. Do I think that's a that should be a foregone conclusion? No. I think Peter Mrazek deserves every right to earn that trust. Because Jack Campbell, Mrazek hasn't been good either, but Jack Campbell's been horrible over the last two months, period. Is his defense score good in front of him? No. 
Do I think his forwards do enough to help out? No, I point, I, I've been on this from day one. Part of the, the biggest problem with some of the bad defensive teams in hockey is because the forwards are lazy and they don't come back. Now that's not Austin Matthews. I don't even think that's at the top line, but you need your entire team to come back and help. You need your entire team to chip in. It's it's a negative thing right now for the Toronto Maple Leafs that Nick Robertson is playing in the NHL. They could be doing it just because they want to try to trade him as bait. Maybe that's the reason. I, I still hate the idea of playing somebody for that reason. Because Nick Robertson scored a goal Saturday night. Good good moment, good story, whatever. He's not an NHL player. He's just not. Not yet. He might be. Might be a really good one. But right now, Nick Robertson's not an NHL player. He's not physically strong enough to be the NHL. I don't think he makes great plays. He's weak on the half boards. This doesn't mean he's a write-off. He's still a prospect. But he needs to be playing in the American League, getting reps, playing on top lines. What it tells you is that Sheldon Keefe is so desperate that he has to play Nick Robertson with John Tavares. It tells you how bad John Tavares has been. John Tavares has been a no-show. Scored a goal a couple games ago. But he's been a ghost for about as long as Jack Campbell has been. Bill Nylander is too hit and miss. There's too many games where he's floating out there. This team is going through more than a rut. Because it's not a rut when you're playing like this for over a month of hockey. You can only get away with winning games 10-7 for so often. You can win those games for a while, high scoring, but eventually it catches up with you. To me, this week, it's, it's about team play the way you want to play. But the biggest development for me will be who is starting Thursday night. It'll be, game, it'll be a game you don't want to watch, Arizona. Believe me, I'm not watching it. I'll cover it here. That's not, the main, that's not on my main TV, Arizona, Toronto. <laughs> but for Leafs fans, that, that should be your most important game of the week. Tonight and tomorrow, eh, whatever. If you win tonight and tomorrow, which you should, if you're playing non-playoff teams, who starts? Also, not for nothing, even though I think outdoor games are overused, I think they're repetitive, I don't think they're that entertaining. Anyway, I asked you guys last week, you guys said there's not too many of them, so I assume a lot of people will be watching Sunday at 5 o'clock. Who starts the outdoor game? Because the outdoor game is kind of like the playoff game. It means a little more. It's it's outdoors. It's different. It's it's an anomaly. It's not your everyday game. Getting to start the outdoor game is an acknowledgement from your coach that you're the number one guy. That you earn this opportunity to have this special game to yourself. Again, a month and a half ago, it'd be easy. Jack Campbell starting the outdoor game. I'm not so sure anymore. Thursday night will be important. Because say Jack, they both win tonight tomorrow. Jack Campbell gets the start against Arizona on Thursday. If it doesn't go well, 
I don't think it's a guarantee he starts the outdoor game. Now, that'd be a shock, being an all-star season he's had. But I wouldn't put out of the realm of possibility we see Peter Morazic out there in Hamilton Sunday afternoon. But there's so many different ways this can go. I mean, the best story the Leafs have right now is Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews is the goal-scoring lead. He's got 39 goals, one ahead of Chris Kreider and Leon Dreisaitl. But even that story is a little quiet right now because of the least play. Matthews is going to break Dave Keon's goal record this year for a Maple Leaf, barring injury. But one thing that's good for the NHL is that there's a race. Kreider refuses to go away. Gets two last night. Leads the NHL on power play goals. Scores all his goals about a foot away from the net. He's always in that dirty area. He continues to do it. Dreisaitl score, getting points for the Oilers. But he's got 38 goals. He continues to put up points. But the you talk about some teams. Minnesota, Toronto, Edmonton have been pathetic lately. The Edmonton Oilers are out to lunch. I don't know what this team is doing. And they're, I said this trade deadline is so fascinating because there's teams that I don't think are going to sell. But if you're the Edmonton Oilers, what the hell do you do? Because I have no faith in this team winning a playoff round. None. Because I don't trust their goaltending. I don't like their defense score. And I like two of their forwards. That's really tough to say, okay, we're going to go beat somebody. But you get L.A. in a series? Maybe. I mean, if Edmonton played, that would be a series you'd want. Vegas is currently four points up on Edmonton. Edmonton has a game in hand. But games in hand are only worth something if you win them. Oilers are at the Flames tonight. It's a massive game. It's a battle of Alberta. It means a lot anyway. But you're coming off a game where you get dominated by the Montreal Canadiens at home. Connor McDavid didn't have a point. was a no-show. The Edmonton Oilers are in must-win territory. 100%. They need to win tonight against Calgary. Like I said, Calgary is playing fantastic hockey. Calgary just beat Colorado Saturday night. The top team in the NHL. Calgary defeats him in overtime on a beauty goal by Johnny Goodrow. The more I watch Calgary, the more I get scared, the more I'm afraid of them. I wouldn't want to play them. Prediction. Shane, good to see you, Shane, in the chat. Uh, my uh See you tomorrow. Score prediction for Flames Oilers. Um, Markstrom Koskinen, as I'm looking up here on the fly. Um, I'm going to say the Oilers need this one, but they, they're so pathetic. Um, I'm going to say 4 2 Calgary tonight. Um, we'll see. We'll talk about it tomorrow here on the podcast. Uh, but I, yeah, I think. The Oilers, like I said, the deadline's so interesting because the Oilers, are you going to add? 
it'd be hard for me to do it because I, I like LA more than I like Edmonton, which is a crazy thought because Edmonton has two of the best players in the NHL. But I think LA is a good little team. LA is just a good little bunch. They play hard. They got good goaltending. Like LA would be, a, they might play Vegas in the first. That's a tough matchup for Vegas. Because LA, you know, they're just they're tough bastards. Doughty, Kopitar, Brown, they still have that nucleus of players. It's those teams that can get in that have had winning teams before that would that scare me. I wouldn't want to play L.A. Because they just come in, they'll play. Um, like Vegas is not in the clear either. That's the thing for Edmonton. What's keeping Edmonton alive is Vegas. Vegas squeaks out a game last night over the Ottawa Senators who are... And that's another untalked about is how pathetic Ottawa has been. On the uh, power rankings, they're 32nd in the NHL. Uh, there's 32 teams, if you didn't know. Uh, that's how far they've dropped. They lose 8-5 to Arizona. Now, I'm not going to talk 10 minutes about Ottawa. They're not worth my breath. But Arizona. You give, you give up a touchdown, a two-point convy to Arizona? Poof. I like DJ Smith. I think he's a good coach. Pierre Dorian. He's okay. Bad salad. But um, this is what you got. People can only say for so long. Well, I think the, the Ottawa Center is going to be good in three to four years. Well, how, what, where's the, where's it start on when they're supposed to be good? Is it like, Next year, you're at like this year was not, they're not supposed to sell assets this year. Oh, now they're going to. Hmm. I mean, they might pick th top three in the draft. What you could say, well, that'll help them. Well, yes. But also, you think you'd be a little better this year. I mean, Arizona's in the league, Seattle's in the league, Montreal. I don't know. I guess it, tonight is the biggest game of the season for the Edmonton Oilers. They have to win. Vegas has a game in hand. Vegas is a better team. When everybody's healthy, Vegas is a much better team. They're four points up with Edmonton as a game in hand. You win tonight, you're right there with them. But for Edmonton, do I think Edmonton's better than Dallas? I don't. Do I think Edmonton's better than Nashville? <sighs> I mean, Nashville just beat San Jose 8 nothing over the weekend. I get it, San Jose. But Edmonton lost to Montreal. Again, I think it's going to be a dogfight the rest of the season. Stars-Predators tomorrow night. Huge game, both teams in the wild card. The NHL is going to be, the East is very mundane because the only really interesting thing is seeding. What is a quiet story, however, you know, Toronto had a big lead for that third spot in the Atlantic division. It's only two points now. Boston has played one more game, but they're only two points back of the Maple Leafs. So this went from a 
Okay, we're guaranteed top three to we might be a wild card team. The Maple Leafs are a much better team than the Bruins. That doesn't mean you're going to finish higher than them. Could that would be a disaster, a flat out disaster. They need to keep that spot. Because who knows? Watch Carolina over the weekend. I love watching Carolina. Um, and if you're listening to me for one of the first times, I I have this, uh, I don't know, it's in my brain, but I love watching just terrible teams. Uh, I, over the weekend, I watched a lot of that Ottawa-Arizona game. Not proud of it, um, but I did watch a lot of it. Um, <laughs> I watched, you know, I watched Seattle, Carolina last night. I watched a lot of that game. And what's good to go watching a bad team like Seattle against one of the superior teams in the NHL like Carolina is you get just get to see special players while watching some crap along with it. But Jake. Jacob Slavin is so damn good. He He's the straw that stirs the drink in Carolina. He's by far their most important player. To me, it's not even close. Um, Aho is a really good player. Svechnikov is a really good player. They're both better than Jacob Slavin when it comes to skill. To me, Jacob Slavin's their most important player. I just don't see anything he doesn't do well. His IQ, his skating, the way he uses his body. To me, I look at the defenseman in the NHL. Hedman's one, clearly. Fox is like Fox and McCarr are really, really good. But when it comes to playing defense, playing that position, I'm taking Slavin over both of them. When it comes to a playoff series, I'll take both I'll take Slavin over both of those guys. Because Slavin is going to make the correct play. He's going to make the smart play and he'll chip in offensively too. He'll likely never be nominated for a Norris trophy. Makar will likely win it this year running away because he's got the most points. But Kale Makar is not a better defenseman than Jacob Slavin. When it comes to playing the position. I remember watching, thinking back and, you know, hearing stories about Doug Gilmore. Doug Gilmore was never the best center in the NHL. was never the best player. But he was smart. He made the right play. He was tough. And more often than not, you'd ask every skill player around the league, I don't want to play against Doug Gilmore. He's going to give me fits. Say the same thing for Gary Roberts after the fact, which correlation, they played with each other and they played similar. But, and you could say, well, he taught him some things, uh, Doug, Dougie Gilmore to, to Gary Roberts. But if you're looking Carolina today, they would play a Washington. Ovechkin doesn't want to play Slavin. Chris Kreider, Zabinijad don't like Sidney Crosby doesn't want to go against Slavin for a seven game series. He doesn't. Pittsburgh, I watched that game Friday night. Really good game. 
I hope we see that series. I think that'd be a ton of fun uh, between Carolina and Pittsburgh. But I just have such an appreciation for what he does because it's quiet. It's if you really didn't know hockey, you wouldn't notice Jacob Slayton. Maybe I'm tooting my own horn a little bit too much, but I just think he's got such a great hockey IQ. He's got such, so much ability. And based on his play, the way he leads that group, Carolina plays such a smart brand of hockey. Brendan Moore's a great coach. The more I watch this team, I'm starting to believe more and more they can win a Stanley Cup. I worried forever, do they have enough skill? Because I saw the Islanders the last two years. The Islanders were a goal away from the Stanley Cup final. I believe they would have beat Montreal in the Cup final. They were so close. They have less skill than Carolina. They were that close to being in a Stanley Cup final. One goal away. They gave up a shorthanded goal. They might have. We would have been 0-0. We go to overtime. Who knows how that goes. But I watched Carolina. They got a really good team. They're in the East, which is loaded. But they're built for the playoffs. Niederreiter. Trocek, Svechnikov, Nekash, Martinuk. They have guys that will play a physical brand and make it tough on you. And I also think they just have a team full of guys that are just tossed aside. Ethan Bear was shown the door in Edmonton. Traded for Warren Fogle. I like Warren Fogle. I like Ethan Bear more. I think he fits in very well. Tony D'Angelo. Ushered out of New York. Really... Don't know why. The one context we have is he's a Donald Trump supporter. I don't think that's a good reason to kick a guy off a team for being a Republican, but I don't run a sports franchise. Comes to Carolina, having a career season, looks like a flat-out stud. I could go through the list. Trocek traded to Carolina for virtually nothing. And this team has gone through playoff wars. This is not, he could have fought with teammates. If he's fighting with Georgiev, I'm fine with that because Georgiev is, can't stop a beach ball. But to me, he's not fighting with teammates in Carolina. Maybe he had a better coach in Carolina that he actually respects. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But it works there. Trouble people can come to Carolina. There's no bullshit anymore. There's no, well, he did this. No, it's over. All that's done. It's at the door. You move on. The East is really loading up. Tampa's playing some really good hockey right now. Florida seems like they're putting up a touchdown every other game. Toronto's going through their, their, their struggles right now. They're still a very good hockey team. But Carolina's a team I would not want to play. I simply wouldn't. Because I think they believe that they can win. They've got a team that's built to win. And they're, they're just a really good bunch of guys there. Winnipeg Jets. I want to touch on them before I move off of uh, the hockey conversation. But all these teams that I said might not be sellers anymore. Stars, Canucks, Kings. 
The Jets are going to replace those teams because the Jets are done. Winnipeg Jets are easily the most disappointing team in the NHL this year. You're playing in the worst conference. You got a team that you trade in the offseason. You get Nate Schmidt. You get Brandon Dillon. Pierre-Luc Dubois is playing great all year. And it was just a disaster. Paul Maurice basically calls it quits halfway through the season. Maybe he saw something coming. Blake Wheeler's fallen off. He's lost two or three steps. Mark Shifley's had a difficult year. COVID injuries, inconsistencies. Ehlers has been hurt. And quite frankly, Connor Hellebuck has been less than average. Seems like Connor Hellebuck is, an, is a Vesna goalie one year, and he's a bottom 10 goalie the next. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't gelled in Winnipeg. They Friday night, they shouldn't lose to Dallas. They let Dallas come back in the game late. They give up an overtime winner. They took six penalties in that game. That's a big reason why they lost. They're undisciplined. They're, they got bad sticks, quite frankly. They don't know how to control their emotions. They got a tough group. But you look and say, well, Andrew Kopp's an unrestricted free agent. I'd want Andrew Kopp if I was a playoff team. Andrew Kopp would be a perfect third-line center. Andrew Kopp could be an addition like a Blake Coleman or a Barkley Goodrow were for Tampa. He could have that impact on a team to win a Stanley Cup. Who gets Andrew Kopp? I don't know. But he's an unrestricted free agent. I'd want him. Adam Lowry's an unrestricted free agent. His father's the head coach of Winnipeg. Kevin Dayoff. What could you get for Adam Lowry? Not having as good a season as he did last year. But, boy, he seems like a good playoff player. Good in faceoffs. Going to hit everything that moves. Great north-south skater. I'd maybe want him as well. So they have assets that they can move. And now it's just, well, what will they move? And I'll get Shevel Day off. He's been the GM there since day one. They've gotten to the playoffs, second rounds, conference finals. But they've never gotten to a Stanley Cup. Wheeler's getting older. He looks like he's regressing every game. Shifley's not having a great... I still have faith he can find his game. But Ehlers is just a, is, is a, is a good player, not a great one. He's a lot like Nylander. He has his games where he's on fire, and he has his games where you can't even notice him. Neil Pionk has taken a step back. Hasn't scored a goal in almost 40 games. Josh Morrissey... He's number two or number three defenseman. He's going to play number one minutes. It's a recipe for disaster. To me, this team has been together a long time. Kevin Chivaldayoff has had the reins of this team for a long time. Paul Maurice is gone. Dave Lowry was an interim was on the bench. You give him the interim title. I wouldn't give Shevel Dayoff the chance to hire a new head coach. If I'm Mark Chipman, them ownership in Winnipeg, I let Chevy do this. I view it differently than a tree living when you're going to get rid of a GM because Chevy's been there since day one. 
you trust he's he's only going to acquire draft picks for assets. Let him do that. Get rid of cop. Get what you can for him. Start building for the future. But after the season, Chevel Dayoff is relieved of his duties. Dave Lowry is not going to be retained on the bench. You're going to bring a new head coach. Chevel Dayoff has built good teams. But eventually, you run out of leash. You run out of rope. Mark Bergevin built good teams in Montreal. Got a team to a Stanley Cup final. You get fired. That's just the business. And I look at I look at this team, and for Shovel Day Off, you tried to build a contender. You had your moments. Really disappointing se- uh, series last year at Montreal. But you never got to that pinnacle. You never got to the Stanley Cup final. And this team is closer to a rebuild than they are a Stanley Cup contender to me. And I wouldn't let a GM restart that process because he's been there long enough. You want fresh eyes on this team. And maybe the new GM sees something that I don't, that this team can get back to the promised land, that they could be a team that competes for a championship next year. But I find that hard to believe because Colorado is still going to be in this division next year. Minnesota is still going to be in this division. St. Louis Every year that Craig Bruby is there is going to be a competitive team. You know they're going to battle to make the playoffs. What's Dallas going to look like? You're going to have your bottom end teams. Every division does. But to me, Winnipeg needs to look in the mirror and say, we've had Blake Wheeler a long time. We've had Shifley a long time. We've had Morrissey. We've had the nucleus of this team for a long period of time. We've had some success, but not enough. And it's time we try to move forward, move towards the future. So two two weeks from today on the trade deadline, I expect the Winnipeg Jets to be active. But beginning of the year, they would have been buyers. That's completely changed. Two weeks from today, the Winnipeg Jets would be sellers. And it all started a shift and a change in their long-term view of the organization. We're going to get to uh, basketball here in a minute, but I want to touch on baseball. I got some comments last week uh, in the, on the weekend and wanted to talk about um, the lockout and kind of where baseball stands right now. So I was going to touch on Calvin Ridley. Uh, That's a story coming out right now. And um, uh, we'll get to that in a minute just as well, but the lockout, you know, it's, it's really disappointing. Obviously, we all want spring training. We want uh, games right now, pitchers and catchers to report. And really to to break it down to very simple what's holding teams up. And this is basically, you know, I've heard this from Steve Phillips. I've heard this reading Ken, Rosen, uh, Ken Rosenthal, sorry, who I recommend everybody read on The Athletic. He's an extremely good writer. He's very tied into all these. Or um, Jeff Passan of The Mothership. But basically what the owners and the players are kind of battling for, they both have their individual things that they want. So for instance, the owners of major league baseball won a 14 team playoff. It's currently a 12 team playoff. So 30 teams, 14, so almost half your league makes the playoffs. I'll get to my thoughts on that in a minute, but that's what the owners want. Players want a competition tax, which is in essence a luxury tax 
where you have, you you spend a bunch of money, you get into this point, and really for big market teams, this wouldn't be a problem because you're 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 gonna have to pay into it. It costs you a little bit more, but you're also going for it. You're trying to win a World Series, and what the players want basically their their number is 238 million, and the owners I believe are down at 222. So that's a six sticking point of a 16 million which is not a lot of money when we're talking about ownership here. But um, five teams, I guess, are against against this. I know the Angels for sure, the Detroit Tigers, um, I believe um, Cincinnati Reds. A lot of small market teams are against this idea because it's going to cost you more money. And you know, it, it can also look bad on your team because you – you're not spending to that point. It's more of an eye opener that, hey, our small market team, our, our team doesn't give a crap. I think the Tampa Bay Rays were obviously a team that was opposed to this. But I guess the Rays could point to being successful with spending no money. Um, what the players are also looking for, and this is really interesting, 60% of Major League Baseball are players who are making either five hundred grand to $3 million a season. 60%. And most of that 60% are in that 1 million to 500 grand range, meaning a lot of these guys will never get to salary arbitration and never get to free agency because you have such a quick career. Maybe it just doesn't work out. The team doesn't go. So you don't get to that payday that a lot of these other guys will. The guys that you hear from, Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole, these guys already have 50 to 100 million in the bank. So, what Scherzer has been fighting for, I give him credit for this, even though I, I have my issues with him. Um, they want, basically, they want more money up front for these players in this 60% range so that if if they don't hit arbitration, they don't hit free agency, they at least have enough money to set themselves up going forward. So this is something I think needs to happen. It's also a lot to do with service time. Because you're in the minors for a while, you get called up, you can get screwed out of getting big money. And you're also at times stuck with the organization that drafted you for um, you know seven to eight years. And that's not, not necessarily a good thing because, I mean, we look at the NBA, especially right now, the player empowerment where guys are just asking out. And it can be a bad thing. Even NCAA, collegiate sports, which – the NCAA is the most corrupt, one of the most corrupt businesses in the world. It's more corrupt than a large company in New Brunswick. Uh, but I, um, it, they allow teams to transfer. There's a transfer portal. You can you can get out of um, you can get out of these situations. So, baseball, they're basically saying we we don't want to be stuck. We, you're not controlling our time. We're you're sticking us with the organization longer. You're not playing us when we're ready to play. So they want that dealt with. So these are the major sticking points. But if you're listening alongside me, this sounds very doable. And it is. This shouldn't be a hard fight. Um, I believe that competition tax can be dropped a little bit if players are given, you know, maybe a little more pay up front for, for these players making minimum salaries. Now, 14-team playoff. I am all in favor of more postseason. I love it. I think it's a good, I think it's somewhat of a good idea. 
However, if you're going to extend the playoffs, if you're going to make if you're going to make more teams get in, I think you should drop from 162 to 150, maybe even 148. 140. There doesn't need to be that many games in baseball and then you have that you have 162 and you get more playoff teams. I think it really cheapens your playoff because you you're just allowing more teams in. You don't have to play that hard the whole year. You know you're going to make the playoffs. I mean, the Blue Jays, for instance, would have made the playoffs last year under this new format. So I'm sure for Jays fans around the world is saying, well, yeah, I'm all for it. We'll get in the playoffs. Maybe we can go on a run. I get that point. But at the same time, either that or give teams that win their division a buy or something. Because there has to be an advantage to play 162 and dominate like San Francisco, the Dodgers last year, don't let they shouldn't be playing for a while in the playoffs because you don't want they should be rewarded for playing that well. The team that just clawed their way in, that stunk, that will likely have a below 500 record, should not be re, should not be rewarded just as much as San Francisco, for instance, for just clawing your way in. So with 14 teams, I'm not sure you know exactly how it would work. A couple wild card games would be fun. I think the wild card aspect of the Major League Baseball playoffs is the best game, normally. And playoff baseball is good. Don't get me wrong; games are too long, but I'm okay with it to a point. But I do think you're starting to allow too many teams in. But you look at every league; it's it's going to keep the leagues are going to keep doing this because it's about revenue. More playoff games means more money on television, means more asses and seats, means more popcorn, more beer, more hot dogs. Hockey has 16 teams make the playoffs out of 32. The NBA, now with the play-in, you get more teams that are involved. You have a single game on the mothership or on TNT to get in. Those are extra, those are that's revenue. That's more eyes on your uh, watching your product. It's a good idea. I, I just think for baseball, you're playing so many games, you should be rewarded with a buy or some sort of advantage if there's a team that's going to make the playoffs that is barely even in the in the fold at that point in the season. But again, base the bigger development over the weekend is we're hearing that baseball is going to make several changes. And the biggest one being that they're going to basically say no more to the shift, no mas. The shift is going to be out of baseball, which should create more hits, should create more opportunities for balls in play. And do I think this is a good idea? Absolutely. It's a great idea. This is needed for baseball. It's boring right now. It's a boring sport. It's an old man sport. Golf is much more entertaining than than baseball right now, quite frankly. I watched that week this weekend at the Arnold Palmer. Guys were just chop festing it. I thought it was pretty entertaining. Lowest score on tour in nearly 15 years. Scotty Scheffler with a five under, winning his second tournament in four weeks. But Getting rid of the shift in baseball is a good thing. However, 
it's kind of sad that baseball had to get rid of a rule in order to improve the game and the players just couldn't adapt. You put the shift on to the left, hit the ball right or hit the ball, you know, whatever it is. They couldn't figure it out. They wouldn't bunt down the line. They kept failing. Their batting averages would go down. On-base percentages would go down, and yet players didn't make the transition. Players didn't say, okay, I need to improve on this, or, okay, this is how the game's played now. I need to make an adjustment. That wasn't how it worked. And that tells me just how lazy and just how incompetent some of these players are. How about just hit it left if they're, if they're shifting to the right? Hit it the other way. Did it happen? Of course, but not often enough because too often you're like, wow, there was two hits in this game. That's it. Two hits. And you go through an entire game and you're like, I can't remember one thing in this game that was meaningful, that was worthwhile, that was memorable. So baseball, we're waiting for this lockout to end. I expect it to end. I expect there to be baseball by May 1st because what they're saying now for baseball is they're going to need at least four weeks to get ready. Meaning that, you know, it's going to be four weeks of spring training. So whenever this is done, it's four weeks. At least they're going to give them a few days to get to the respective locations for spring training. So if a deal got done tonight, I assume spring training would start Friday. You could start mid-April. It's not getting done tonight, however. It's about when it gets done. That's when you can start the clock. But this is not what you want. Because, again, it's a lock. You want to have a positive impact in your sport. There are over 200... Free agents available in baseball right now. You know, bring it to the AL East. What, where does Freddie Freeman go? Because I'll be honest, I think Freddie Freeman's signing with an AL East team. It's not the Toronto Blue Jays, however. I think Freddie Freeman, when this lockout ends, is going to be a New York Yankee. I think Freddie Freeman. World Series champ, World Series MVP. Sorry, not uh, ALCS MVP. Is one of the best first basemen in baseball. Still really good when it comes to defensively. Great hitter. Atlanta, I don't think wants to pay him the kind of money he wants. He might want some term. He's getting older. Do I they still think he can play really good baseball for another two to three years? Yes. We know one thing, the New York Yankees are not afraid to throw around money. Look at Garrett Cole's contract. The Yankees have to be a little bit desperate because the Red Sox have been having more success than the Yankees. The Red Sox are supposed to go through a a lengthy rebuild. You look at Verdugo. You look at guys in Boston that just J.D. Martinez found his game again. And in the playoffs, they go on a run and nearly get to the World Series. They will have a good team again. Can they recreate what they did last year? Hard to say. Boston and San Francisco will be those two teams to say, these two teams weren't supposed to be this good this year, and yet they they were. Can they they have that story again? Or who's the team next year that really shines? But the New York Yankees have a hole at first. Luke Voigt 
is a good player when available. The operative word is when available. He's always hurt. He's always got something wrong with him. And the best ability is availability. He's never, he's never ready to play. Freddie Freeman doesn't miss games. Freddie Freeman joining an American League East team is interesting because he has the ability to play first and then he can DH in games as well. You play in the National League, unless they have a universal DH, which I doubt will be approved this season, he has to play first base or he has to sit out a game and he can pinch hit late in the game. Now, well, put Stanton at first. That's something I'd be doing a little more. In spring training, Stanton's normally a left fielder. He's terrible in the field. I would never play him there again. He's your he's your DH. But when you have Freddie Freeman, when you want to give him a day off, I'd play Stanton at first base. See if he can do it. You don't have to be a crazy athletic to do it. Stanton's a machine. If Vladdy Guerrero can do it, so can Giancarlo Stanton. But I would, I would sign Freddie Freeman. You're going to deal Luke Voigt. You get what you can for him. And for the Yankees, you got to hope Garrett Cole can have a great season. You signed him for that big of money. You still have um, Domingo Germán. Uh, you still have Jordan Montgomery, Jamison Tylon. They don't have a great starting pitching core. Yeah, I think the Blue Jays is better. Kevin Gosman, that addition, makes you really wonder what this team can do. You still have Alec Manoa, who looks like a stud. You have some good pit. You have some really good pitching pieces. You still have Vadigero Jr., Bo Bichette, George Springer. So to me, heading into this season, again, Freddie Freeman might not go to the Yankees. I'm just making a prediction. To me, heading into the season, the Toronto Blue Jays are the best team in the American League East. I like their pitching. They have just as good of hitting as, as the Yankees. And again, the Red Sox are the X factor. They're always the X factor. Maybe they get hot again. We'll see. But I don't think they'll be as good as they were last year. The Rays, they always seem to make the playoffs. They're always going to be a thorn in your side. They're always a tough matchup for the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, there's just there's bats there that just seem to get hits. G-Man Choi, Kevin Kiermeyer. They play, you know, Brandon Lau hits home runs. Doesn't hit many other, doesn't get singles or doubles, but he hits home runs. They're a tough team to play against, no doubt about it. But I do think the Blue Jays have higher-end talent, and I expect them to be a factor come the end, you know, beginning of the season and battling through. You know Baltimore's going to be a write-off. They're going to be one of the worst teams in baseball again. Brandon High's got himself a tough job in Baltimore just to keep those guys happy. They want that lockout to continue because they know it's going to be a disastrous season. But with an addition like a Freddie Freeman, if Zach Britton can have a healthy season, if Garrett Cole can have a healthy season and he pitches consistently well, I think we're going to see a Jays-Yankees battle down the stretch. Maybe the Rays or Red Sox can keep it interesting. I think it's going to be an extremely tough division again. It always is. You know when you're in this division, you have to win your games against Baltimore because they're not a good team. You need to take advantage of the weakness. 
But I think we'll see a battle throughout the year to see who comes out on top. Don't be surprised to see multiple teams from this division make the playoffs because the AL Central just isn't that strong. Minnesota's on the decline. Detroit, you know, they went out and made some additions. They um, they signed some big names. They had a productive year last year, but do they have enough? We'll see. Can the Guardians, the new Cleveland team, can they make an impact? I just don't trust that division as much as I do the AL East. We could see three teams from the AL East make the playoffs because I just don't think the Central is that good of a division. We'll have to wait and see on that one. But should be fun. You know, can Glabor Torres, can Gary Sanchez make have a resurgence for the New York Yankees? Because quite frankly, they weren't good enough last year. We're waiting for baseball to start. We're waiting for something positive. I'll continue to talk about it, but right now there's nothing new to report. The sticking points, competition tax, number of playoff teams, they got to work through it. And all we can do is hope to see baseball soon, sooner rather than later. Is that a guarantee? No. But all we can do right now is hope for the best. Now, coming into the podcast, I didn't expect there to be a breaking news story about five minutes before I went live, but there was. And the, the big news of the day, and there's a couple of news stories in the NFL, but the biggest one is that Atlanta Falcons wide receiver, former first-round pick, of, of the of the Falcons in 2018, Calvin Ridley has been suspended for the entire 22 season, 2022 season, for betting on NFL games this past year. Now, what really makes this even more interesting is that Calvin Ridley did not play after week eight. Calvin Ridley missed a game in um, London, England, citing mental health problems. Did not play again. Falcons supported his, you know, his right to go home, deal with his mental health problems. He was open about it. Was hopeful to come back this season. But now today it's a that the Falcons knew that the NFL was looking into this, was doing an investigation on Ridley. And apparently, this is just coming out in the last 20 minutes. Wide receiver reportedly bet on Atlanta to win in parlays, denies having gambling problems. So what this immediately makes me go to and what it makes me think of is Pete Rose. And obviously Pete Rose was a manager betting on his team. But something that leagues cannot allow is for its players, coaches to bet on the game because gambling is such a big part of sports now. For better or for worse, it just is. You know, DraftKings and FanDuel and ProLine, all these league, all these companies are so intertwined with these pro leagues and no bigger than the NFL. The NFL is the most bet on sport in North America. The Super Bowl, it's crazy. Guys betting on the NFL every week, parlays. I mean, I'm not the biggest, you know, um, gambling guy, quite frankly. But I have many friends that are that love doing it. They ask me for advice. I really don't like giving gambling advice because there's no positive spin from it. Because if I give the right information, well, I should know that. I'm a sports expert. If I get it wrong, well, then it's my fault. It's not their fault that they probably didn't watch the game, had 20 beers, 
and woke up with, you know, their pants down by their knees. But nevertheless, I look at this incident with Calvin Ridley. I think it's a very serious offense. And the entire season, I said that, you know, the league has said it found no evidence to suggest that Ridley had any inside information that any games were compromised. That's a good thing. That would be a, a worse story. Roger Goodell said, there's nothing more fundamental to the NFL's success and to the reputation of everybody associated with our league than upholding the integrity of our game. This is the responsibility of every player, owner, coach, game official, and everyone else employed in the league. Your actions put the integrity of the league, of the game at risk, threaten to damage public confidence in professional football, and potentially undermine the reputations of your fellow players throughout the NFL. Yeah, I. this might not seem like a big deal, ladies and gentlemen, because you know, you're betting on, and I do get this argument because I believe Pete Rose should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. To me, I get it that uh, Barry Bonds didn't get in, so I kind of lost my leg to stand on there because I don't think he should be. But Pete Rose is betting on his team to win. I think there's a difference than if Pete Rose is a manager of the Cincinnati Reds and he's betting on them to lose. That's that's obviously a huge problem. He gets to decide the lineup. He gets to pick the reliever to come in so he could be fixing games. So I do think it's a good thing that Calvin Ridley is not, you know, having inside information, knows that Matt Ryan has a, you know, a torn lat and he's going in to start and it's not going to be a good, a good start for him. I just think that's a good sign. But and this, this is a tough conversation to have right now, but this is to the point we're going to have it. You know, I hear mental health, and I hear this, and it's 100% real. I'm not saying it isn't. But I look at two guys in particular. Calvin Ridley now, with this accusation now, basically a year suspension, and Ben Simmons. Two very different cases, but... Do you really have mental health issues? Are you using mental health as a crutch to get out of something? Like for Calvin Ridley. So you weren't mentally strong enough to play, but you were betting on your Atlanta team to win. You are betting on other games. Did you really have a mental health issue or do you have a gambling problem? Benson couldn't shoot against Philly. Clearly a mental block, but also you're not playing right now. You're not playing games. You haven't played since June. Did you have a mental health problem when you're in Philly? Or is that you're just, you're scared to play in front of that Philly crowd? There's a big difference there. Being afraid and being, having mental health problems are, are a different case, are a different case study, plain and simple. But now that when we hear mental health, it's, we got to give the player the benefit of the doubt. We can't ask them a question about it. And I think that's wrong as a journalist. If I had somebody on I was interviewing them and they, they cited mental health issues, I think it's in my right. I think it's basically, it's my job to ask them, not saying, what were you going through? What, what were your thoughts? But how did you work on it? How did you go through this? Because it's not, it's not just, I have mental health problems. That's it. Because every athlete who misses a big shot could say, well, I was dealing with a mental health issue. And then it's like, well, okay, so you just weren't feeling well and you can't go there. You see my point. Ben Simmons is devoid of criticism right now. 
a guy who wouldn't dunk over a five foot one Trey Young. He's in the clear. Well, he's got, he's got a mental health problem. We, we can't approach that. Why not? Well, I, I wouldn't want to do well. Well, Calvin Ridley, he's not playing for the Falcons. There's really weird circumstances. Okay, he's got a mental health problem. Okay. I, I support him. We'll give him his counseling, whatever. But now, while he's got his mental health problems on the sideline, he's gambling on games. Well, why, why, why are you gambling on games when you have a mental health problem? Let me say this. If you're gambling, you got a mental health problem, you lose that bet. I can't see that helping your mental health. Because you lost. It's another, it's a it's a kick in the pills. I'm not a doctor here, but that just seems like common sense. I just don't like the optics of this. Do I think Calvin Ridley was doing anything that terrible? No, as long as he wasn't betting against his team. If you're betting against your team to lose games and you're not an active player, or if you are an active player, you should be kicked out of the league forever. If you're betting on your team to lose, get out. The way it's saying here, he's betting on his team to win in parlays. So he's showing support for his team. But I still don't think you can do that because betting on the league that you're playing in just is not a good look. Go, you know, bet on Saturday night on UFC 272. Throw some money on, on Kobe Covington. Throw some money on the NBA games. Go on FanDuel and, and do some single uh, same game parlays. You know, listen to the ringer and do some do some of that stuff. I listen to Bill Simmons all the time. He's doing, you know, in-game parlays that you can hit on. You can bet outside of your sport. I don't think that's too much to ask. If you could bet on, if you're an, uh, an accountant or somebody that handled somebody's finances, you saw how much they were losing. Were you going to bet when they when they file for Chapter 11? That's insider trading. That That's... <laughs> so... I don't feel that particularly bad for Calvin Ridley, quite frankly, because this was stupid. To think you're not going to get caught, again, is stupid. He should have thought more about his actions. He didn't. Calvin Ridley is an excellent receiver. The Atlanta Falcons got rid of Julio Jones because they had Calvin Ridley. He was, quite frankly, outplaying him. But now the Falcons don't have Julio Jones. They don't have Calvin Ridley. And you're just kind of looking and say, well, Kyle Pitts is there by himself. Well, they took fifth overall last year. Great tight end. Could be a star in the NFL. But who else is available to throw to? Zacchaeus? They have receivers that are really... The Falcons are a team that's not very good. They just got worse. What do they do in the draft? What's well, rumored, do they take a quarterback? Do they go with Kenny Pickett? Do they go with... Uh, do they go with... Um, uh, sorry, uh, Sam Howell Jr. the third. Do you do something like that? Well, now you have a you can draft a quarterback. You still have a veteran there who's going to have the the biggest cap hit in the NFL this year at over forty five million dollars. Who's he going to throw the ball to? So you have an aging Matt Ryan with his targets diminishing year over year, and Kyle Pitts, a great tight end, but kind of by himself, he's going to get doubled, tripled next year. It's not good in Atlanta. 
this is not good. This is not what you needed today when it comes to PR. The fact that you had a wide receiver who's gambling on games, not playing, citing mental health issues, and you really have no idea why. That's not a good story. And, I, you know, just to move past this story for the NFL, I mean, it was it's a day for the NFL because we're coming up on the franchise tag deadline. And basically what the franchise tag is is when a, a player is going to hit unrestricted free agency. If you want to keep them in your organization, you can put the franchise tag on them. So what that means is you have them on your team. You have until mid-July to negotiate a long-term extension with this player. And we've seen it work in the past where guys get franchise tagged. You work out a contract. Eventually, you resign. Kirk Cousins got franchise tagged twice, if you recall, by the Washington football team. And he was then uh, let go. They didn't franchise tag him a third time. He went to Minnesota, signed a huge contract. Um, Trent Williams got franchise tagged by the Washington football team. Funny enough, Washington again. He didn't want to sign a franchise tag, sat out a full year, was then traded to the San Francisco 49ers. Well, today we saw a number of franchise tag used. The Cleveland Browns franchise tag tight end David Njoku, who was drafted by Cleveland uh, in the fourth round of, of a number of years ago. He's kind of a big play tight end. He was alongside Austin Cooper this year. You know, Cleveland likes using their tight ends. OBJ's gone now. Jarvis Landry could potentially be cut. So they look to keep Njoku, keep uh, Austin Hooper together and see what they can do to improve the receiving core. The bigger franchise tag for me was Jesse Bates in Cincinnati. I talked about him right after the Super Bowl being one of the most important players this offseason. Cincinnati franchise tags him. And if they don't get, uh, come to a long-term extension, Bates will have the option to sign the franchise tag, play for a little over... 16 million this year or he can sit out and it's kind of a holding pattern and we've seen that happen with Le'Veon Bell set out entire season when he was under the franchise tag and he wouldn't sign it so guys have done it in the past but normally they'll play under that tag Earl Thomas did a number of years ago ended up breaking his leg uh, and it cost him a lot of money so it can get contentious between players and organizations if there isn't a long-term deal done that player doesn't have security. But this is the, the only move for Cincinnati. Jesse Bates is one of the best safeties in the NFL. He's so valuable to Cincinnati. Um, he just makes big play after big play, quite frankly. And you couldn't afford to lose him. They have so much cap space. You can improve your O-line, but you need to keep your strength as well. He's, again, one of the best safeties in football. He's so versatile. He can be physical coming down the line of scrimmage. But in coverage, he makes big plays, and he's just the leader of that defense. You don't want to lose him this offseason because you're going to be trying to make up for all the impact that he brings to your organization, and quite frankly, you're not going to be able to. So good move there. And then to wrap up the NFL conversation, there's an also another Aaron Rodgers rumor. Go figure. Um, he's reportedly been offered you know, a contract – of two years over $100 million by the Green Bay Packers. And they're still waiting on him to make a decision. Um, I think he's staying in Green Bay. I don't think he's going anywhere. I'm kind of sick of Aaron Rodgers. I've said this for a couple weeks. I'm sick of him. He, I, To me, it's very simple. Just tell us what you're doing. 
This isn't that difficult. You're an elite quarterback. Green Bay is a great situation for you. Maybe try to win a playoff game and don't gag him up as much as you do. But he's a great player. He's going to be paid. If he signs a two-year $100 million, he's going to be the highest paid player in the NFL in the history of the game at over $50 million a season. That's hard to pass up because the grass is not going to be greener in Denver. It's going to be harder to get to a Super Bowl in Denver. It's going to be harder to get to a Super Bowl in Vegas. Wherever he goes is going to be tougher because you stay in the NFC North. You got Detroit, who are not going to be any good next season. You got the Chicago Bears, who we don't expect to be better than the Green Bay Packers next year. I like Justin Fields. I don't think they're going to be as good as, as the Green Bay Packers. They're not going to take that big of a step. Minnesota, new head coach. Do they keep Kirk Cousins on the roster? Is Dalvin Cook there? What what happens with Minnesota? They're in a they're in an interesting spot. Kevin O'Connell, the new head coach. What does he want to do with this roster? Mike Zimmer's finally gone. Zimmer and Cousins can only lose so many games. What happens with this roster? We'll have to wait and see. But to me, leaving Green Bay makes no sense. Green Bay, they haven't franchise tagged Devontae Adams yet. I expect them to. To me, if they franchise Devontae Adams, then Aaron Rodgers is going to stay because those two are two peas in a pod. They have such a connection. They're one of the best quarterback wide receiver duos in the NFL, and it's really hard to cover them both. So, again, I just want him to tell us what he's doing. Free agency starts next week. That's the interesting thing. Free agency starts next week. He's not a free agent, but you're going to want to make this decision before a free agency because it affects it greatly. Because if a team might be looking at a quarterback, for instance, you could say, well, maybe Jameis Winston can come in and be a, a bridge starter. Maybe he can get us into the playoffs if you're Denver, which I wouldn't recommend, but maybe they'll do it because they're a desperate team. But you say, well, if Aaron Rodgers is available, that's, you're not going to throw money at Jameis Winston. You're going to go try to make a big trade for Aaron Rodgers, which they've been gearing up for for a number of months. Now, as, as a guy that roots for content, I want Aaron Rodgers to, to ask for a trade. Because quite frankly, I don't think the trade's going to take that long to pull off. Because I think Denver's had their trade proposal ready for about six months. But will be great content. If Aaron Rodgers stays, what does Denver do? They become a very interesting team because what do they do at quarterback? You can't bring Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Block back again because they've had no success there. They're terrible at, at taking quarterbacks. Do they take one in the draft? Well, you take a quarterback in the draft this year, it's basically signaling we're not going to be that great. We're likely not going to be competitive. We're likely going to sign a, a, a guy with experience so that the guy we draft can sit there for a while and learn. Because I don't think – I think the quarterback's closest to being ready is Kenny Pickett. I don't think Matt Corral is ready to play in the NFL. He might be good eventually. I don't think he's ready right now. You can go through the list. There's no great quarterback in this draft. Will, will teams draft them higher than they should? Probably. You know, I've heard that at FanDuel, you know, gambling, you can bet when a quarterback will be drafted. Right now, the number is at 13 and a half. 
It'd be the first time, I think, in almost a decade that a quarterback was not taking in the first 10 picks. Now, we're almost, we're almost two months away from the draft. A lot of things will change. We just went through the NFL Combine. Kenny Pickett was getting criticized because he's got small hands, had some fumble issues at, at Pitt. Well, do I think he's a, an elite court? I don't. But teams take quarterbacks higher than they should every year. If I was betting 13 and a half, I'd take the under. i take the under that a team takes him at between 10 and that, and that 13 number. Because there's teams in there that are going to need a quarterback. Denver included. If they don't land Aaron Rodgers, even if they take a Jameis Winston in free agency, just for example, or they acquire a Jimmy Garoppolo, you're going to want a successor. You're going to want a, a youngster to sit behind that veteran and hopefully learn and be your quarterback of the future. So that's what they're up against right now. NFL's always got content. I didn't expect to see Calvin Ridley's in the in name in the news today, but it was for the wrong reasons. As of right now, he's suspended for the entire 2022 season. And who knows what this does for his career. Missing an entire season after missing basically half a season this past year because of his mental health issues. I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility to say Calvin Ridley's career might be over. A guy who went 18th overall, who was second team all pro just last year, his life is completely turned upside down. His career could be over before it even really started. Pivoting to the NBA, lots of lots of great games over the weekend. I've been watching a lot of basketball lately, including you know college, which we touched on last week. Matt Wright will join me later on. He'll join me Friday. We'll, we'll get into um, NCAA and start previewing March Madness, which starts a week from Thursday. But, I mean, Saturday night you get the Lakers. LeBron James drops 56 on the Warriors. Um, incredible performance from the 37-year-old. And then you got Sunday, and even more impressive of a game, you have Jason Tatum, who drops 54 points in Boston's home victory over the, over the Nets. But even more impressive, he goes 8 for 13 from 3. And I always thought Jason Tatum was a really good player. And I thought, you know, he does remind me of Kobe a little bit. He's not as good, obviously. That, that's a high bar. But he's a really, really good player. But to me, just over the course of this season and the past couple, Jason Tatum has morphed into a star, into a superstar in the NBA. I watched that entire game yesterday. And I looked at Tatum and he outplayed Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant, I still think, is the best player in basketball. That doesn't change after one game. But yesterday, Jason Tatum was better. And it wasn't just because he dropped 54 points. It wasn't just that he shot with such confidence. It wasn't just because he was an assassin out there. It's the way he played. His passing. It's something he's improved on so much. I watched his, I watched him and Marcus Smart play. Or the way he finds Robert Williams in the paint. Jason Tatum has morphed his game into distributing the basketball when he needs to. He's never going to be a LeBron tennis this guy, but he will get four or five a game, which is exactly what you're looking for. Get 40 points, five assists, hopefully 10 boards. He's so good at that, but he's also such a leader of this team. 
you can tell, you know, Marcus Smart was wired for sound yesterday. He's a lot of fun. He's always engaged. And I think he's a definitely a leader of this team. But Jason Tatum's the best player. And they just, they play around him. And it, what was more impressive is Jalen Brown played pretty terrible yesterday. But defensively, he was late on assignments, shot, shot the ball terribly. But they still won. Smart made big shots. You had Tatum and Robert Williams, Jr. the third, has completely morphed his game and he's playing like an elite big. He had five blocks in the first half yesterday. He runs the floor so well. And the great thing about Boston is that they defend. They defend. Because you're not you're still going to give up a ton of points to Brooklyn because Brooklyn still has Kyrie Irving. Brooklyn still has Kevin Durant. So you're going to give up opportunities. But what I so much appreciate about Boston is that they get in your face. The NBA, just playing defense is about effort. That's what it's about. Don't give them an open look. Two minutes, I mean, you looked, watched Brooklyn yesterday. How many open threes did Boston have? Too many. That's the reason they won. Al Horford, wide open from the corner. Tatum at the top of the key. They move the ball so well, it's just open three, open three, open three. And a lot of this is laziness from Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving not closing out. Yesterday, Bruce Brown was the only guy in the Brooklyn Nets that wanted to play defense. But people talk about Brooklyn. Boston is not a talked about team. And this will make, I don't know if he's listening, but this, I'll talk about him with him tomorrow. Obviously, I'm re- referencing my buddy Seamus Fillmore. Boston's a threat in the Eastern Conference. I don't think they're better than Miami. I don't know if they're better than Philadelphia. But I believe Boston can get to a conference final this year. I didn't think this even a month ago. But I look at the way this team plays defensively, how they play for one another, and you have a superstar player that's confident, that believes in himself, and this team just feels different. This team can win and can get to a conference final this year. It was the beginning of the season. The teams with the two best odds to get to the NBA Finals were the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers. I don't think either team is going to get out of the first round of the playoffs. Brooklyn had Durant and Kyrie yesterday. They didn't win. Ben Simmons, the biggest news on Ben Simmons is that he's traveling to the game in Philadelphia on Thursday with his team, but not playing. So he's going to be on the sideline in street clothes, basically masquerading as Anthony Davis. But that that tells me he's mentally strong, that he can go to Philly and sit there on the sideline and not play. So he's not playing. So that basically means he's going to have 10 to 12 games to figure it out with his teammates because he's got back stiffness, whatever the hell that means. It's a made-up injury. Brooklyn is not going to have enough time to figure it out. Next year could be a season for Brooklyn, but we, we said the same thing this year. I love Kevin Durant, but he's got to be incredibly frustrated. Kyrie Irving doesn't want to get vaccinated, can't play for the longest time. James Harden gets out of shape, gets tired of it, leaves. Then he's like, okay, we got our three. Well, no, Kyrie can't play. Ben Simmons still dealing with his mental problems. He can't play. So then you're stuck on the floor with the big Penguin and Bruce Brown and Lamarcus Aldridge. 
Brooklyn's better than the Lakers, but that's not much. That's not saying much. The Lakers are terrible. But to me, the biggest story of the weekend in the NBA are the Boston Celtics. This team can get to a conference final. They can make it interesting. Milwaukee and Miami are the two best teams in the East for me right now. I have Boston three. Philly needs to play more games together. They're very good. But they played Miami over the weekend. They, they took the loss. The, the Heat play the Suns this week. I think that'll be a really fun game. Suns lost to, to Milwaukee yesterday in Milwaukee. They're not obviously not the same team without Chris Paul, the floor general. But I do think the Phoenix Suns are head and shoulders the best team in the Western Conference, and it's not even that close. But LeBron scoring 56, the, the Lakers finally getting a win, that's a sigh of relief. The bigger plot point here is the Warriors. They've lost eight of the last 10, and they're under 500 since in Draymond's. Draymond has played 26. There are four games under 500 in that span. And to make matters worse, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry are having their worst shooting percentages from three in their career. Clay shooting 37%, Steph 38% on the season. Both career worse. And they're not defending. They miss Draymond. He's their best defender, but he also creates opportunities because he's such a great passer. He He's the floor general out there. And Memphis has surpassed Golden State. You look out west, Golden State just looks like they've lost their way. I don't think they can win anything this year without, without Draymond coming back. They need that third part. He's such an integral part of their team. He's so important. They need him back. I'm not sure they're going to get him back. So... I look at the West. Like I said, I think Phoenix is by far the best team in the West. Golden State and Memphis are tied for second. Eight games back of Phoenix. Utah is fourth. I think Utah is a pretty good team. I like Utah a lot before the year. They've gone through their struggles. They're starting to find their game. Dallas trails Utah by a game and a half. Then you have Denver. The West is not clear-cut, and that's why... You still hear the mothership. You still hear TNT talk about the Lakers game after game after game. Even though they're in the ninth seed, they play Port- They play New Orleans right now in the playing game. That's where the Lakers would be. Lakers have had all year to get hot. The Lakers, you know, you're starting to hear now, oh, Frank Vogel is getting pressured to bring Russell Westbrook off the bench. He should have did it in the first place. I pitched this at the beginning of the year. No, no. We're still not doing it. Russell Westbrook's ego is too big. The Lakers winning Saturday night was is irrelevant because they're they're irrelevant. You're the ninth seed in the West, the shitty conference. It's great. LeBron dropped 56, but are we going to remember the 56 point game when they're out in the play in? He's golfing at Riviera in three weeks. Probably not. That win will only mean something if this is the springboard to them finally finding their game. Can he come back? Can LeBron play well? Can Street close? Can he come back and this team finally finds their game? I doubt it because we haven't seen it all year. The NBA is going to be fun down the stretch. Because I think the West is not decided. 
The East, like I said, I like Milwaukee and Miami the best in the East. I think they're the two best teams. Right now, Philadelphia and Milwaukee are tied for second. Boston's half game, uh, Chicago's half game back. Boston's only um, a game and a half out of second. And you got Cleveland's only a game behind Boston. So it's a real dogfight. Charlotte surpassed Brooklyn. You know, they're now in the uh, eight seed. Brooklyn, so Brooklyn and LA are both the ninth seeds right now in the respective conferences. That's a scary thought that both these teams have to play two playing games just to make the playoffs. I don't think Brooklyn will. I think they'll get wins down the stretch here with Kyrie Irving. But he's, if he's not going to be able to play in Brooklyn, we look at their upcoming schedule. They're in Charlotte tomorrow night. It's a big game because Charlotte's the eight seed. So it's a battle of eight versus nine. Kyrie will be able to play in that game. Then they go to Philadelphia. That's the big game. He'll be able to play in that one. I'm so disappointed that Ben Simmons is not playing because that would have been great theater to see Ben Simmons return to Philadelphia, get booed, go through all that. But he'll be able to play in that one. But it's just, you know, the Nets are full of drama, so are the Lakers, but for all the wrong reasons because the teams just aren't that good. We're going to get into more NBA stories tomorrow. Um, Seamus will be by tomorrow. He might be coming in studio, so that'll be fun. First in studio guest tomorrow. Um, writer later in the week. So um, fun stuff coming this week. We'll break down all the NHL action tonight, talk about the lease game against Columbus. Um, and we'll also get into the UFC um, that we saw over the weekend as well. So and we'll be lockout as we get updates. I'll share them with you. We'll go through it. And uh, any Aaron Rodgers news, any NFL, as you all know, we'll touch on that as soon as it comes through here. But hope you guys enjoyed the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a great rest of your Monday, everybody. Take care. This is To The Point.